Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Or not yet, but happy whatever it is, getting ready for Christmas. Good to see everybody. You know, we are one church that meets in different locations at the same time. We're actually all together in this moment. So can we just extend some hospitality and just say hello and acknowledge each other at the Abingdon campus, Aberdeen campus, Edgewood campus, Mountain Road campus. Our friends online, kind of all over the country, all over the world, we're glad you're with us. Uh, today is a really, really great day. We're, we're going to, as was just mentioned probably, uh, we're going to be celebrating in just a few moments uh, kind of what God's been doing in our church through Unstoppable Good, and that's going to be really fun. But uh, before that, we want, to, we want to spend some time just digging around in God's Word and seeing what's there for us, because we started last week uh, in a series called, do you remember what we called it? Behind the scenes Christmas, exactly, right. I, I love it when, I, when we pick a title that just sticks, you know, it's like it's glued there. I, should, uh, I set myself up there. Behind the scenes Christmas. Here's the thing. Most of the time when we think about Christmas, we tend to think of that one moment, you know, that, that Mary with baby on lap moment. There in the manger scene, there's, G, there's Joseph there, there's a shepherd or two or whatever it is, right? That's kind of the, the, the Christmas scene. What the Bible loves to do is, is to expand our perspective greatly and take us kind of backstage, like behind the scenes, like what really is going on in a bigger way. And we want to do that again today. Because the goal is that we would do more than just sort of look at a baby in a manger, but that we would have a deeper appreciation for who Jesus really is. What it means to us that he came. So that we can follow him more truly, Love him more deeply, uh, obey him more fully. We got to go behind the scenes a little bit, beyond the baby in the manger to do that. And so last week we began with the Gospel of John. Uh, we looked at the first 18 verses, which basically begins this way. It said, uh, if you remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we saw that Jesus is this. God of creation and brings into our life real life and light into the dark places. We saw he's also the God of incarnation, we said, which means that this amazing God from on high came and pitched his tent in our backyard. He's right here among us, and that means that whatever you're going through, you're never alone. We want to dig into another gospel today and look at the first several verses of another gospel. And it will be the first gospel listed. There are four gospels. There are, in other words, biographies of Jesus that tell the story of who Jesus was and why it matters. And the whole New Testament begins with these, these stories of Jesus. And who knows what they are. Let's say the first four together. Ready? They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We went to John. Now we're coming back up to Matthew. This is the way the whole New Testament begins. And we're going to look at a long section of Scripture again today. It's verses 1 through 17 of the way that Matthew 1 starts. So if you have your Bible open, you can flip open to that. I'll put it on the screen, and we'll read through this long list of, of names from, first, uh, from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Here we go. Ready? This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Wait a second. Is this really all there is in this whole thing? Someone look in their Bibles. Is this what it is, the whole thing? Wow. Okay. 
there's got to be a more interesting way to do this. I think, wait a second. Hey, Cole. Hey, Cole. You back there? Hey, can you bring your guitar? I need you guys to do a song. Bring Mindy with you. Bring your, bring your lovely wife, Mindy. Uh, uh, give it up for Cole and Mindy. Uh, so we're, we're getting ready to do the scripture reading here, but yep. it's just really along this. Do you have a song? Which scripture? It's the Matthew 1 thing of all the begats. Let me scan it real quick. You, surely you have a song. Hold on. I'm scanning it. Okay. Uh, I think I got it. Yeah. Oh, hey, do you have your harmonica? Oh, always. I always travel with one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, a? Yeah. Key of A? Sure. Key of A? It's just right. like every Christmas meeting. All right. Matthew uh, chapter 1. Here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Isaac, and Isaac he had Jacob, and Jacob he had Judah in his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up, and then came Aaron, then Amenadab, and Nashan, who is then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead, Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. had Shealtiel, who begot Zerubbabel, who had Abia, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliadan. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. Somehow I knew he'd have a song. He's got a song for every scripture there is. That's great. Well, that was a little more interesting maybe to present it in that way. Uh, because to us, when you get to, the, really, if you look in that scripture, verse seven, 1 through 17, it really is just a long list of names. It's a genealogy. And to us, it may seem kind of boring. It may seem kind of like strange, right? Because that's just, you know, you're, you're, you're going to tell the story of the arrival of Jesus and you start with a list of names. I mean, you could have made it more interesting, maybe. Well, here's the interesting thing. Um... The reason he goes to Ancestry.com to sort of start the gospel <laughs> is 
he's going to reveal some things behind the scenes that I think are going to shock a lot of us. And one is that Jesus has some skeletons in his closet. And Jesus, as we go up and look in his family tree, we realize there's some fairly crazy and embarrassing people hanging around there. And you're going to see why that's important in just a minute. It kind of reminds me when you think about families having crazy and messy. And it reminds me of Christmas Vacation. Anybody Christmas Vacation movie fans? Right? Clark Griswold is determined to have the perfect fun family Christmas. Right? Except that he's got the same problem that you have, and that is that his family's jacked up. (laughs) So it's like, you know, my favorite is Cousin Eddie, who shows up at the front door on Christmas morning. Right? Cousin Eddie, remember Cousin Eddie. There he is in his bathrobe, emptying his septic tank from his RV, which is now parked right in the driveway. Merry Christmas, Clark. I'm here. And then things go from bad to worse. I mean, the cat gets electrocuted. Grandpa starts the Christmas tree on fire with a cigar. Uh, The turkey explodes, and uh, Clark doesn't get the bonus he wants, and Eddie he takes matters into his own hands, and the SWAT team shows up after he kidnaps his boss. Clark's wife finally says, maybe we should just send everybody home. And I love that famous quote when he says, oh, no, nobody's walking out on this fun family Christmas. We're all in this together. And I love, I love that whole quote, that whole moment, that whole scene, because it's just like that is so relatable, right? Because every family, not just the Griswolds, understands what it's like to be stuck with family. I mean, you choose some friends, but you're stuck with family. And that's, that's a little bit of the mess that I think we see in this genealogy even. And it's a mess that we see in our own families. One thing I discovered about my family after a little while of looking at it was that it turns out everybody in my family is sinners. Every, every single one of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is why families are not only our source of some of our deepest joys in life, right? Some of the greatest, just um, cherished things, but also some of the deepest pain, some of the greatest sorrows is because of the sin factor. So Matthew takes us behind the scenes and he shows us that Jesus didn't come from a perfect, Gris- a perfect family. He came from more of a Griswold family, just like us, made up of sinners, and there's tremendous hope. In that. Now, before we go deeper into this text, it's just worth thinking about not just the Griswolds or the Kacharis, but maybe your own family for just a second. Because I hope you're like me, that you, you, I mean, a lot of us really do cherish our families. We love our families and we value and benefit from them so much. And I hope that's the case for you. But I also know that families are messy and they're painful and they're hard. And it's worth thinking for a minute about some of that. Because We're all going to be together, many of us, over the holidays. Nothing brings crazy Griswold together like Christmas, right? So that means that Aunt Mildred, who has 16 cats, is going to show up again. Or that cousin who cheers for the Steelers is going to be in your living room again. Or that one who insists on drinking too much and getting it too loud. Or that person who cannot resist making political statements about everything. Or the crazy uncle who's into all the conspiracy theories. Or... The sister-in-law who gets her feelings hurt about something every single year and everybody tips the toes around. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? Anybody, anybody relating to any of this? Yeah. yeah? Maybe you've got someone in your family that you don't really talk to anymore. Or there's been an estrangement. Maybe it was about an estate settlement. Or it was about a, a divorce that has just kind of messed things up in your opinion. Or something about the way your kids were treated and you just never quite got over it or they didn't. 
or maybe there's a wound or a new boyfriend or a disagreement or something that just throws everything off. Maybe you're the Christian in your family and you've got a bunch of people who just cannot wait to sort of belittle how dumb Christians are. You know, if you've got anything like that in your family, it's normal because families are messy like that. And what I think is shocking for a lot of people when they're used to looking at perfect baby Jesus with perfect Mary holding him is that Jesus' own family has some kind of messy stuff in it. So let's dig in a little bit. First of all, let's ask the question, why does Matthew begin with the genealogy? Well, um, Matthew was writing to a primarily Jewish audience. These are the Hebrew people. This is the remnant of Israel coming through, and these people were trying to decide, do I become a Christian or not? And, and as the main question on their mind is, is Jesus the one? Like, is he the one? Like, is he the promised Messiah that our prophets talked about for centuries? Is he the one, the, 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 uh, the one from on high, the Christ? Is he really the one? Because if he is, he will be a legitimate son of David, because we know that from the Bible. And he will also be in the line of Abraham. He will be a true descendant of Abraham. And if those things aren't true, then he's not the one, and he can't save us, and we're not interested. And so Matthew's very interested in showing this. He's a legit son of David, and it stands out from the genealogy, and that he's in the line of Abraham. Now, something else is interesting. There's more going on here, though. When you study ancient history, most people couldn't afford to have their genealogy written down and captured like this. Generally, the only people that uh, would know and record their family lineage this far back would be like kings or emperors or really important or wealthy people. We don't have any records of other Jewish carpenters or fishermen or shepherds or common people like that. This is very unusual. So what's Matthew doing here? He's trying to say this is no ordinary carpenter. First thing he's doing by saying, you want to, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he starts the way you would introduce a king. He's like, everyone's like, huh, okay. I thought he was just from Nazareth, this little carpenter boy. So he's saying, first off, pay attention. This guy's important. But there's something else here, and that is that when you study ancient history, you, you discover that the important people like kings and the emperors, when they had people and historians write down their family history, they did so to show that they were legitimate, like in the, in the line of the royal family, and they were really in line for, for the throne and royalty. But every time you study these genealogies, you discover there's these big gaps, and like huge, like 50-year holes that aren't accounted for. And what we learn after you study this, they figured out that these kings and the emperors, they would hire people to, to write their genealogies, and then they would ask them just to scrub all the embarrassing stuff out. Like, let's not mention Uncle Leonard who did time at Leavenworth. Let's just leave that part out. You know, can we just not talk about the horse thief uncle of mine? Can we, can we not talk about that great-grandfather that got discharged dishonorably from the military. We'll just kind of leave that part out and we'll still make the point. And that's what happened in genealogies all the time. What's interesting is that while everyone else tended to do the, their genealogies in ways to make them look better by showing how perfect and pure their family was, Matthew, for reasons I think we're going to discover, does exactly the opposite. He goes out of his way to make sure that we don't miss the fact that Jesus came from a line of people that included embarrassing figures and messy people, and he highlights these skeletons in Jesus' closet, almost as if to say, everyone else may want to forget and ignore all these people, but not Jesus. They're in his family too, which I think for people like us ought to be pretty encouraging. 
So he's going to make us know a lot of things, but one more thing I've got to point out is that every genealogy was all men. It was a patriarchal time. It was a patriarchal culture. It's the way that it was. And Matthew largely follows suit, mentions the men, the men, the men. That's the way that genealogies work. But then Matthew goes out of his way to place four women right into Jesus' family tree. And they didn't need to be there. They're not really part. He didn't need to mention them, but he does. And they happen to be actually four women that no respectable king or emperor would ever mention. In fact, they're people they would very much exclude. So here's Matthew saying Jesus is from God. He's important. Pay attention. He's saying he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. And he's saying also his family's a bit of a mess. Let's let's dive in a little bit. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's try it again without music. Here we go. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Boom. He's, He's already established it. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. And then he adds this parenthetical statement whose mother was Tamar. And as soon as he says that, everybody in the Hebrew audience would have gone, oh, did he, did he really just say Tamar out loud? Now, some of us don't know Tamar, but they did. Boy, they did. And if you know your Old Testament, you know Tamar. No one would have put her on their list on purpose. If you could avoid Tamar, you avoid Tamar. Tamar was a widow who had no children, first of all, and in that ancient Culture, if you were a woman thousands of years ago, what are the most important things for you to do? Get married, have kids, preferably boy children, right? Well, two of her husbands had died, and now no one wants to touch this woman with a 10-foot pole. So her former father-in-law, whose son is now dead, Judah, he just tries to get rid of her. He's like, well, we're kind of done with you. So he's going to send her back to her own daddy or somebody else wants to forget about her, which she's not having it. Tamar is kind of the original desperate housewife, if you will, and and she does a very desperate thing. She dresses up like a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her. Now, that makes you think, no, what's her father-in-law sleeping with prostitutes for? But this is a messed up family. (laughs) She knows that old scoundrel heads down to the same old corner, hooks up with the same women of the night, if you will, every weekend, and she fools him into it disguises herself, which would have been considered an act of incest, which is super embarrassing as well. Not exactly something you write about in your annual Christmas letter. It's a blemish on the family. Are you following this? Tamar did not measure up to what the culture valued. She wasn't successful in society's eyes at all. Anybody in your family like that? Anybody relate to that yourself? She was an embarrassing blemish. Anybody relate to that? Well, sure enough, her father-in-law, Judah, gets pregnant. She gets pregnant. It was crazy, but it wasn't that crazy. Her father-in-law, Judah, gets her pregnant. She, and and when, he, when he saw her, he didn't have money uh, to, to pay her at that moment, so he leaves her a personal item as some collateral. Well... He didn't know how that was going to come back to haunt him. Well, she comes back later pregnant with a bump on her belly and that item in her hand and says, does this look familiar? And all of a sudden, it's like a paternity test. And all of a sudden, the whole thing blows wide open 
And this is juicy. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if historians later discovered that Tamar's last name was actually Kardashian. I don't know about that, but it's just, I'm just saying, this family, does anybody else understand what, what it's like to have embarrassing sexual immorality in your family somewhere, hidden away, or some sort of, I don't know, some sort of deception, or someone that wanted to cut someone off and just not, I'm not taking care of them anymore, or some sexual sin, or, or some broken promises, or some sort of broken trust, and every one of us goes, oh, wait, me too. This is somewhere in our family tree. There's a lot of that going on. Matthew has made a very bold statement, but he's not done. Look at verses 4 and 5. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, and here comes another one of his parentheticals, whose mother was Rahab. And it's like, er, it's another record scratch moment. It's like, Rahab, did he just say that out loud in the genealogy of the one we're trying to establish? As the son of God, the pure one to save the world. Talk about awkward. She didn't just dress up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. It's like when we're talking about the family, let's not mention the one that's in jail. Let's not mention the one who's on the sex offense registry list. Let's not, let's not mention the one who gambled everything away and ruined their family. We're just not going to bring those things up every single time. Oh, that was Rahab. The worst part about Rahab, though, probably for most people hearing this the first time, was that Rahab was a pagan. She was the wrong religion. She struggled with her belief in God. Some of you know what that's like at the family gathering where maybe you're wanting to bring up spiritual things or talk about your faith or this church you love so much or those kinds of things. And there's others that are like wanting to avoid it so desperately. Anybody relate to that? And then there's a Rahab's moral life that just kind of, I mean, what do you talk about? How's business? I mean, what, what do you, what? it's awkward. She's not exactly squeaky clean. She doesn't know what she believed about God. Her life showed it. Her lifestyle, she's operating on a different set of rules completely. Anybody relate to any of that in your family? Matthew's not done. In the very next breath, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, oh, and don't forget, as we move through the line here, Boaz was the father of Obed, and here he goes again, and everyone starts to tighten up because he says, whose mother was uh, Ruth? Ruth? We think, oh, Ruth. Oh, You can hear all the old Jewish women going, why can't he mention any of the good Jewish women? Because to the Jewish audience who cared so very much about pure, perfect pedigree, you would never mention Ruth because she wasn't even Jewish. She wasn't a real Hebrew. She wasn't like in the, she wasn't one of us. She was a Moabite. And Moabites were the sworn enemies. If you read the Old Testament, they're the sworn enemies of the Hebrews, of the Jews. I mean, you think the racial tension is high today. Multiply it times maybe 10 and you've got something of the understanding between Jews and Moabites. I mean, they just wanted to just kill each other. They were the ones you grew up hearing stories about and innuendo and, you know, they're those people. They have different skin color. They, have, they look different. They eat different. They talk different. They have different politics. They, they have different customs. They have different every, they're one of them. That's the Moabites. Talk about awkward. Who invited her to Christmas? Anyone feel like maybe that's the way you're looked at in your family? 
Maybe you've got someone else that you look at in that family like that. Well, that was Jesus' family too. Matthew's on a roll, see. And he, he's got more to say. Look at the very next verse. Matthew 1, 5 and 6. He says, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of beloved King David. You know, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Does that ring any bells with anybody? I mean, he didn't need to mention any of that, but he does. It's like, don't Uriah's wife. Even the name Uriah brought pain. This is one of the biggest blemishes in all of Hebrew history because David was their great hero, and yet this was his great dark moment. Uriah's wife, you don't even mention by name, it's Bathsheba. He's the one that he saw bathing and called her to himself. Here she is showing up at the Christmas party. It's like, oh my goodness. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And though it wasn't her idea, she probably had very zero control or power in the situation. She was a very unpopular figure to most Jews because she was looked upon as the culprit who soiled the reputation of their beloved David. Maybe, fam maybe you know someone in families like that. Families love to make scapegoats. Everything was fine until he married her. That person that you look down on ruined everything because they called the police that one time. Or so-and-so who got a divorce and it's all their fault. Or a lot of families have black sheep. You know who the black sheep is in your family? If you don't, <laughs> I'm just saying it might be you. And I don't think this passage is just in there because of Bathsheba. This reference brings us really back down to earth about David himself. The vaulted and exalted King David, the high point, pinnacle of their family lineage. He's the one who made the indecent proposal to her. And yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but he also committed adultery and had her husband killed and then lied about it to cover the whole thing up. If you've ever had any part of your family that's had a big mistake or a moment of regret where something is really not talked about very much and it sent ripples through the whole family for years and generations. Maybe it was a pregnancy before marriage or an affair or a divorce or some kind of cover-up or secret. Jesus' family, you guys, you see it? It's not just filled with these perfect saints. It's filled with stains and secrets and shame and sickness and sin. Kind of like our families. It's, a, it's a, as if right out the gate Matthew wants to say he gets us. He's one of us. Yes, he's the vaulted Christ from on high. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the Christ, but he's also, he's also from us. And he gets us. And it changes how you think about messy people and families. And if Jesus could be at work through that family, just think of what he could maybe do in yours. What can we learn from all this? Draw a couple quick things. First of all, it reminds us, Matthew's trying to say Jesus saves sinners. He didn't come to be a Christmas card. He didn't come to sort of help you through a, a bad Friday. He came to save sinners. In the very next breath, right after this, Matthew says, you want to know the punchline of all this? In verse 21, here's what he says. Talking about Mary, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because that name means what he, for he will what? 
save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. Now, I don't think Matthew put this list here just to show us the family that Jesus came from. He, he put this list here to show us why he needed to come because the world is so messed up, because the world is so full of pain. Every human you know has a sin problem that you cannot fix yourself. And we try, and, and, and just like the ancient emperors who scrubbed their genealogies, we cover up our mistakes and we post and present in ways pictures of ourselves that, that somehow mask the darkness and the sin. We don't talk about it. We don't want to admit it. Sometimes even in group life, we just kind of keep it surface level. But, but Jesus came for you, my friend, because you're a sinner just like I am. And if you don't believe that, then you don't need anything to do with Christmas. You want to go behind the scenes? It's like the world's really dark and ugly, you guys. And we need help, and God has some good news for you. I'm going to send someone right in the middle of this mess to fix it. His name's Jesus. He comes to save sinners. That's what Christmas is about. So maybe it's time we stop trying to fix ourselves or pretend we're already good enough and don't really need much of Jesus except for maybe a little encouragement along the way. We need a Savior, and he's Christ the Lord. Second thing we can say for sure is that Matthew's trying to help us see that God can work through anyone. <laughs> I mean, this is, look at this family tree that brought us the perfect, sinless, amazing Savior of the world. It's filled with whores and adulterers and liars and cheats and murderers and all the rest. We didn't even get to half the other names here. But God didn't let that stop him from working through it to do what God wants to do. God is unstoppable. And so nothing you've done, nothing your family has become, prevents you from being used of God for God's unstoppable good, for his purposes, for his plans. So stop saying I'm too sinful or God doesn't get it because I'm different. It's a cop-out and it's a missing the mark. It, the whole message of the gospel is God wants to bring good through Christ, through his people, to the world. What does God want to do through you? Maybe that you've been preventing because you think you're too sinful. I can't be used. I'm too messed up. The third thing I think we need to just say is that Matthew's trying to shout from the very beginning as he shows us this family tree from the very first verses of the New Testament Scripture. Friends, when Jesus comes, this is for everyone. It's for everyone. Literally, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus comes for you, and he wants to include you in his family. Look at Ephesians 1.5. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us, like adopt, like I want you. I'm going to take you, I'm going to bring you into his own family, a new family of God, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So whatever kind of messed up family you have, whether you love your family or hate it, God's plan is that you would be part of a new family with an amazing father and incredible brothers and sisters and that you belong and that you are included, that you have love and hope. Friends, this is the message of the gospel. This is for everyone. That's why we're doing unstoppable good, you guys. Because God's love, his grace, his power, it's not just for some, it's for everyone. And we've, we've got to do more to let that be unstoppable and spread and grow. So Jesus is for Gen X and Y and Z and whatever other letters we come up with. It's, it, 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 he's for the crackpots and the crackheads and the, the, the tight wads and the uptights and, 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 and everybody. Jesus is for the person who will be reached by that camp that we're going to build in Kenya. For 10th grade kids. For everyone. 
Jesus is for that person who's going to be ministered to by the, by the new expansion of the epicenter that you guys are making possible through unstoppable good. It's for everyone. Jesus is for that child who's going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ for all of eternity because of our ability to double down on kids because of what you are doing through unstoppable good. It's for everyone. Jesus is for the person who maybe will, will never want to darken the door of a church, but will hear Jesus knocking on the door of their heart today through a digital platform and through an online ministry that's happening. Maybe you're listening right now. Jesus is for everyone. He's for that young adult who needs community and help and hope and purpose, and you're going to provide that through unstoppable good. Jesus is for the guy who has no time for religion or that spiritual garbage or that touchy-feely stuff. He's a man's man, but you know what? He does care about sports, and he might just meet some friends who help him meet Jesus, who will help him discover that that hole he's had in his heart, that aching, gnawing gap, can be filled by Jesus Christ. It's for everyone, you guys. It's for those who are struggling with, with addiction and depression and mental health and why we're going after that. It's the person who's going to be reached by a church plant that we're going to help fund. It's the person who's going to be so surprised to discover themselves walking into Mountain's next campus that Unstoppable Good is helping to prepare for. It's for everyone. That's what Matthew's showing us. That's why Jesus came. It's what the gospel's about. It's what Unstoppable Good is about. And that's why, that's why we want to celebrate what God's been doing through Unstoppable Good right now. Are you guys ready for some good news? Yes. Let's share some of that good news. For over a, a year now, um, we've focused some of our best efforts and our most sincere prayers on the, most, on the biggest thing we've ever done. We've called it unstoppable good. And we just became convinced that, you know what, pandemic, whatever, it's time to go. Let's go and move forward and rally everyone in a fresh direction. And we began to pray for a time of intense spiritual growth where God would really do something big in us, but also a time of expanded vision and ministry impact, that God would do something big through us. And that's when we specifically began to populate that vision for, for kids and for growth and for reaching new people and young adults and mental health and digital impact and uh, launching a camp in Kenya and, and uh, developing leaders and all this stuff with Epicenter and reducing debt and ministry spaces and all that. We called the whole thing Unstoppable Good. And what we found when we began this, was just delightful. It was like a spiritual readiness among the mountain people, like a hunger, like a, a desire to make a, a deeper connection with God and a bigger impact in the world. So we had a bunch of retreats and vision nights and weekends and invited everyone to be part of this thing. Just said, everybody, here you go. If you want in, let's go. Let's have God do something in us and through us. So we've had a time of prayer where we listen to God. We've had a time of commitment where we've committed to God. Today's a time to praise and celebrate God, okay? So here we go. We've created a little video that I think kind of helps us reflect on it and capture it and give thanks. We're going to show that video now. And uh, remember, there's a lot to celebrate about what's happened in people's hearts and the way they've committed to different things along the way. But there's also the numerical part, the financial part that's going to unleash all this ministry. And the video includes that. And when we get to that, whatever that number is, we're going to celebrate, okay? We're going to celebrate whatever that number is. Are you ready? All right, let's, let's roll that video. 
mountain has had an incredible history of nearly 200 years, but I really believe the best is yet to come. And when I think about unstoppable good, I can't help but think about the goodness of God. I have experienced his goodness my entire life. You can't outgive God. He's already proven that to me. So I'm just really excited to see everything that God's gonna do in us and through us because his goodness is unstoppable. Um, and what unstoppable good means to me is trusting God on my faith journey, putting aside my personal goals and things that I think are important to me and putting uh, the priorities of God um, above those things. I wanna like actually pay attention to what, what God wants me to do. Um, I wanna actually do it when I hear those whispers and then, uh, and yeah, like, you know, see the joy and the peace that comes from that. We love this place, we love God, and God loves us and Mountain loves us. So we're in it for good. Yeah, we're in it for God and we just care about our community and wanna see it continue to be blessed. Unstoppable Good is all about the future. Uh, all the things that God's gonna do through me, through Mountain, and through this community to reach more people for Him. I'm holding a little offering bucket where I fill up with money, and then I put it in the offering bucket for all of the people that don't have homes and people that would like to have homes and stuff. I want to do something to help this church grow and to spread the word of Jesus. I just want to like give so that they have the experience to go to camp just like us. For so long, I feel like I've had one foot in, but this has pushed me to that point where it's like, I just want to be all in with our giving um, and with my heart. Um, and that's also between me and the Lord, just giving it my all. For 198 years, God's mission through Mountain has been unstoppable. The mountain people who've come before us, they have walked faithfully and God's done some amazing things. Now it's our time. a legacy for years to come for many other people that will be walking through the doors of Mountain Christian Church. except praise God, praise God, it's fantastic.
Over the next couple of years, that means 30, over $30 million of generosity is going to be invested in exactly the ways we've already identified through unstoppable good. I hope you guys realize how nutso this is, right? Like in a post-pandemic world like ours, in, in an economy such as we have, with everything going on in our culture and society the way it is. And that no, I, I wish you could know what that number represents. I wish you could hear the stories that I've had a chance to hear. You're going to hear more. I wish you could know about the the commitment and the sacrifice, all different amounts, but the stories of love and generosity and willingness and eagerness to be devoted to God, all that's represented with that. Just a great, let's do this kind of attitude in this church. Makes me so proud to be a part of this church. You may recall that our primary goal was 100% participation. Like, could we just not have anyone miss out on this? Like, this, have everyone talk to God. And, and then we had a secondary commitment, a secondary goal, which was that number, that big stretch number of 31 million to underwrite all the vision before us. And you saw in the video that we hit over 30 million, 30 million 65,488. It's amazing. Well, I got to give you an update because between the time that we created that video and now, which hasn't been that long, some new commitments have come in and some other people have said, you know what, we wanna change our number, we wanna do more. To help us toward that 31 and to just make sure this all happens. So it's kind of a running total. And I can hardly believe I'm saying this out loud, but our current total and commitment so far has now risen to 30,613,364, okay? So, so there's 380,000 for somebody to knock out in the next little while. All I can say, I wish I could just stand up here and tell you, oh, I always knew, I knew all along that we were going to hit this number. I always knew we were going to hit a number like that. I, all I really knew is that what kind of stretch and faith and courage and commitment it would require and that if we hit anything close, it would be amazing. That's all I really knew. And I'm just, I'm humbled and proud to be part of a church like this. And I want to say thank you for standing with Carla and me and the rest of our leadership team and stepping out and saying we're going to do something big. Thank you, Edgewood Campus. Thank you, Abingdon Campus. Thank you, Aberdeen Campus. Thank you, Mountain Road Campus. Thank you, all of our online friends. I mean, just, we got to say thank you, God. So, there's a friend. There's a friend that, that's been at Mountain for 25 years, and, and they said, you know what, I've seen a lot over the years. I've seen God move in some amazing ways to this church over the years, but they said, I, I've never felt God moving in this church the way God's moving right now, and I agree, and I think we all ought to feel just kind of a holy privilege to be part of it. So let me also say, this is a two-year journey, okay? And there's still time to join us. Some of you maybe still haven't made a commitment. You may choose to make a commitment today, and that'd be wonderful. We welcome you to do that. Maybe you'll close that gap or take us beyond it. And I would encourage you to do so not so we can hit a number, though. I, I, I just, I would hate for you to be a spectator. I hate for you to be kind of observing from the sidelines because you will miss out on some of the extra joy and the, I guess, the faith and the growth that only happens when you say, I'm in it for good, too. So we welcome you. I want to remind everybody, today's a starting line. It's not a finish line. 
<laughs> it's the starting line. Here we go. It's just the beginning. And uh, we anticipate more joining us along the way and our own faith growing along the way. And today's also special because we call it our first big give. In other words, if you haven't started already giving at the level that God led you to stretch to, today's the day. Carl and I start giving at a new level in a new way today. And maybe it's your time to join us as well on that. Uh, some told me today's the largest gift they're ever going to give to the Lord. And uh, maybe we'll have the biggest offering we've ever had. I don't know. But uh, if, you, you know, if you have already given uh, you know, online, or I know some of you will do that later today, or you, some of you have a check, there's kiosks, there's lots of ways to give, you already know all that. So today is the day for, for this. I just pray whatever we do today will be our, our first and our best as a way to really start off with a bang. And, and if you're a guest today, you picked an awesome day to be here because one, you got to learn about your family, but you got to learn about our family the Mountain family as well. You got to learn a lot. And you're invited to jump in in any way that God directs you to. But you're also encouraged to know that we believe the Bible when it says that nobody should ever give out of obligation or guilt or some kind of pressure, but we give out of a cheerful opportunity to be part of something that God's inviting us to. And that's why we give, and you're invited to give in the same way. So we're going to pray now, and can you just lift your heart, just whatever your part was in this, you just realize it was part of something way bigger than you and that we all are privileged to be part of it and let's just thank God and then ask him to help us be faithful with the part that he's led us to and then let's just let's just pray together at all of our campuses online join us together here Lord our hearts are full right now seeing what you have done and expectant for what you're going to do through us man if all this ministry that you outlined for us can happen we know it'll be so good and we know these commitments and the numbers that we're talking about, it's really just your money being funneled back for your purposes. But God, we know it's going to be so much better in your hands than ours. So just do something that we could never do if we tried to do a bunch of good on our own. And God, we love you and thank you today because you are truly a way maker, God. You've seen it so many times in our own lives, in our own families, in our own church, where we just had our back against a wall. It's like in this impossible place where we're like, there's no way, and then you made a way. And so we thank you and praise you. You're doing it right now in our midst. So hear our hearts as we praise and worship you, our way maker, God, and all God's people said, amen.